0: A Podcast One production. Technology is advancing at a rapid pace, and that can be amazing. It can help our lives, it can make our lives more efficient, it can make our jobs easier, it can even help secure us. And the people who are working on that technology are incredible, and they usually have amazing goals in mind. Unfortunately, there are also a group of people looking to use that technology against you. Every single device that you put out there, every single piece of tech that you use, can be leveraged against you. Now, these guys are trying to steal your money, they're trying to steal your data, they're trying to destroy your lives to improve their lives. And that's a very horrible thing. Now, we're lucky enough today to be joined by Doug Wichke from Interpol. And he's one of the people on the organisations that are actually trying to prevent this type of behaviour. So, Doug, thanks for uh, joining us today. Love to hear a bit about um, how you got Interpol, what Interpol actually does, and uh, yeah, tell us your story. Well, thanks for that interesting question. Look, Interpol's an intergovernmental
1: organisation that was established about 100 years ago. It's made up of 194 member countries and has a really, it's about connecting police for a safer world. And what we're trying to do is prevent and fight crime through enhanced cooperation and collaboration with member countries primarily. So that's really what Interpol is about. For me, coming to Interpol, I'm I'm one of many uh, international police officers that have been seconded or or, or loaned to Interpol from the the member country. So I'm, I'm an Australian seconded officer. I started my policing career with Victoria Police back in 1987. I had uh, some great times uh, working in Victoria, primarily in crime and uh, investigative detective activities, before moving across to the Federal Police in 2007. Again, uh, new journeys, new experiences in the Federal Police, but I found myself in counterterrorism towards uh, the time I was being seconded. So I was working as a counterterrorism officer out of Canberra around the international environment and the threats that was posing to the Australian community. In 2018, I received a phone call advising me of the position with Interpol and encouraging me to apply, which I did. And I was successful in securing a position on secondment as an international police officer from Australia to Interpol uh, starting here in August 2018. So we're based in Singapore. Uh, We we have a global remit, Uh, our cyber directorate sits uh, in Interpol, Singapore. And what did that phone call actually feel like? It was a Friday afternoon. And I asked if I could have the weekend so I could uh, actually discuss it with my family.
0: So you're working against cybercrime and you're working in the cybercrime department. What do you actually do within your department?
1: Well, look, I I head up two of the subdirectorates of of our cybercrime directorate. The first is our cybercrime threat response capability. That's primarily focused not only on the intelligence building to identify threats and issues, but also working with member countries and our private public partners to disrupt that threat and look at early interventions as best we can. And the other sub-directorate I look after is cybercrime operations. So I've come into cybercrime operations to sort of try to expand uh, the operational capabilities of the cybercrime directorate. And currently, uh, we're working quite enthusiastically with a range of member countries on a range of operations globally. So we've really stepped up the tempo and our objectives in relation to how we want to tackle the threat and uh, how we want to coordinate the cybercrime operations across all our member countries.
0: So you mentioned uh, all these member countries. How do you go about collaborating and how important is collaboration to Interpol and your department?
1: Well, collaboration is critical for us. It's about working with smart minds and smart people uh, around the world with a common objective to uh, actually make a difference. Um, You know, our member countries are suffering on a range of different fronts. I mean, we are globally from cybercrime, and we work together to try to work uh, out solutions and opportunities, and we try to bridge the gaps between a range of different member countries to be able to look at uh, takedowns of infrastructure, but also target uh, threat actors and really try to get them incarcerated at best or or potentially um, be able to distract them from uh, obviously committing that crime and having the impact that cybercrime's been having globally over the last couple of years and particularly through the COVID-19 pandemic. So for us, uh, you know, that's critical. Uh, We work closely with the uh, national crime bureaus in each of the 194 member countries, as well as the cybercrime directorates but we also have broader partnerships and relationships that are critical for us. Our private public partners, our gateway partners are are, are absolutely critical. These are security, banking, financial, a whole range of different companies from different sectors that we work closely with on a day-to-day basis. And they also provide us with a richer context of information and speciality that we don't have generally within law enforcement, but they're a valued and key partner for us as we work towards uh, disrupting cyber-criminal activity. For us, and, and my adage is, together we make a difference, and uh, you know, law enforcement can't do it alone. We need the, uh, the partners, private and public sector, as well as other international organisations, to collaborate and work with the communities to be able to make a difference.
0: So, obviously, you're fighting cyber-crime. What does the threat landscape look like today, and how is it involved, and importantly, have you seen a rise in cyber-crime during this COVID crisis?
1: Well, the big challenge for us during COVID has been what what I've I've termed uh, is a perfect storm. You know, we've had a a, a lure uh, like COVID-19 that's created fear, concern and anxiety across communities globally, you know, and obviously that, you know, need to understand, need need to sort of assess and evaluate from a personal perspective has provided cyber criminals with probably the greatest lure we've seen in, in cyber crime through its history. Uh, in addition, you know we've got uh, communities that have been locked down. A lot of, uh, a lot of people obviously are work, went and worked from home and are still working from home, which presents new vulnerabilities, new challenges, a new target vector for cyber criminals to actually uh, target individuals as well as organisations and, and corporations. So the, these were some of the big challenges let alone the fact that a lot of uh, small to medium-sized businesses had almost overnight lost their customer base. So they were starting to establish virtual businesses to be able to maintain that customer base and attract those people, with new users also coming online that hadn't been f- aren't familiar with the risks, vulnerabilities and threats that actually exist in cyberspace. So collectively, we had a broader new base of new users that uh, were quite vulnerable, not aware, and ultimately became victims. So, you know, for cyber criminals, it was a a significant benefit for them. And over that period of time, we saw increases in a range of different activities by cybercrime. You know, the the instances of online scams and phishing, primarily using COVID-19 as a lure. You know, whether it was for PPE, the protective equipment, masks, uh, hand gel, or the like, They were putting in scams in place to be able to sort of lure people into handing over, you know, um, cash. And, you know, quite a few governments got caught up in this as well. We saw a lot more disruptive malware being deployed, uh, particularly targeted on critical infrastructure. For us, uh, hospitals and medical facilities seemed to get targeted a lot more. We flagged that issue globally through a Interpol Purple notice uh, back in April or end of March, uh, March, April, when we were starting to see these issues, and we work closely with a number of countries to sort of remediate hospitals through that process. Uh, data har- harvesting through malware, we've sort of seen spikes in relation to those types of activities. The increase of malicious domains, um, we, we identified over 200,000 of those through our private public partners and member countries. Um, the use of misinformation or fake news and, and being used to extrapolate agendas and drive motivations and and, and encourage people to take certain actions. I think these were collectively some of the things that we saw during the COVID-19 pandemic. And what's a purple notice? A purple notice, Interpol produces a series of notices um, for a range of different things. What we we share the purple notice for is really identifying new MOs or something that's fairly distinctive in relation to uh, criminal activity. And we share those to the 194 member countries so they can start to look through their information and data to see if they can identify similar activities or traits. It's a way of just sharing the modus operandi of criminals, as well as uh, distinctive new methods and strategies that are being deployed or activated. And and we, we share Purple Notices quite regularly with member countries, as well as member countries sharing with each other.
0: And. What would you tell the listeners, and what should people know about the cyber threat landscape, and particularly like the people and organizations behind those threats?
1: Well, we like uh, like our communities. It's quite diverse, actually, in relation to cybercrime. You have the young kids that are quite naive. Some can be quite sophisticated that have learnt basically in their bedrooms or, or, or you know somewhere away to do some rudimental type of hacking, deploy malware, and and even buying services on the internet. I mean, um, a lot of uh, cybercrime as a service is a, is, a, is a new feature, or it's a feature that's been developing and growing across the, um, the cyber domain. So you get these young kids that sort of start to get involved. But then at the other extreme, we we've, we've seen organised criminal networks that are starting to use cybercrime, particularly during the lockdown. Some of the issues, you know, that were impacting on the communities were also impacting on... Um, transnational and organised crime groups. And, and you know, cyber provided an alternative revenue stream potentially. You know, with the cyber environment, um, generally it's a low entry point. Um, you can purchase services, as I stated, um, through the internet and, and the dark web. And, and also really, you know, until we start to actually work a lot more collaboratively and collegiately globally detection and threat rates for cyber criminals are quite low as well so we're trying to change that paradigm we're working fairly consistently with our private public partners as well as our member countries to really be a lot more challenging for cyber criminals target hard in the environment but also try to obviously disrupt and um and you know incarcerate the the people behind these types of offending and scams
0: So what are some sort of trends that we're seeing? Are we seeing a big increase in any particular areas in cybercrime? And what factors are sort of powering these trends?
1: Well, look, with people working from home, we're seeing a lot more focus on um, the vulnerabilities that presents to organisations and and governments. They're utilising home networks uh, that bring in the vulnerabilities that, uh, that individuals have within their general home systems. Uh, unlike um, the work and, and the security specialists that work within organisations that make sure that, you know, the, the methods of communications have controls and systems across them, generally on a, on a remote working environment from home, there are added vulnerabilities that um, security professionals in organisations generally don't have access to and, and don't have control over. So that, that presents some vulner- new vulnerabilities for organisations. You know what we've seen is we've seen um, a lot of targeting of individuals through social engineering to really sort of try to infiltrate organisations. So they'll they'll go after the uh, the individual and try to profile the individual to get an access or, or a gateway into an organisation. So, I mean that's that in itself is is problematic for companies. It presents new risks uh, and vulnerabilities. We're seeing target the targeting more towards the companies and the organisations and governments these days, uh, there's generally a perceived uh, bigger return on investment. I think not only in um, data harvesting, but also in relation to potentials for ransomware and the like. So, I mean, the, the risks are there in a, in a remote workforce when people are still working from home, because generally people at home don't uh, reset passwords on their Wi-Fi's or routers at home. They're, they're fairly generic and it, it presents um, new opportunities in addition, you know, a lot more IoT devices are hooked into a range of home networks that also present vulnerabilities to those environments. And uh, if you've got a work computer or that's obviously using that network, it presents um, additional opportunities for criminals to exploit that that uh, that vulnerability. So, um, for us, uh, that's that's a significant issue for us. We we seen, uh, you know. I mean, this, this social engineering and, and targeting individuals. You know, we're seeing people share a lot of information on social media. You know, whether it's through some of the social platforms, but a lot of that information is publicly available. And, and you know, if if, if an individual individuals like the chief financial officer for an organisation, you could expect that that a, a, an organisation group that's an interest in the company that they are the chief financial officer will look at that as a, a, a potential target vector for them to at least try to access, I guess, some of the financial decisions and processes within that organisation, whether it's uh, exploiting the individual or using the individual as a potential gateway to that system. So really challenging environment. Uh, It's it's presenting a whole new risks and vulnerabilities for organisations. At Interpol, what we're trying to do is obviously work with member countries, flag the risks and vulnerabilities, share the issues and try to... um, uh, share this more broadly with the community. In May this year, we we released a uh, wash your cyber hams communication strategy, really focused on some of the vulnerabilities and also some of the uh, activities that individuals can take to improve their security and and reduce the risk of them being a victim to cyber crime.
0: If we were to go into the mindset of a malicious hacker or a criminal organisation, what are their agendas? How advanced are they? What are they trying to get at? Again,
1: a broad spectrum of capabilities across the criminal network. Um, some are quite naive, others are quite sophisticated. We're seeing generally a lot of it's really a financial basis, but I'm not saying all, but that a financial motivator seems to be a primary driver for cybercrime. We are also seeing targeted individuals and, and creating harm, but you know, any anything that can potentially generate some sort of profit seems to be one of the primary driving factors and motivations for cybercrime. I mean, for criminals, we've seen recently um, some DDoS attacks that seem to be quite juvenile in their targeting and, and methods, uh, but we've also seen a lot more sophisticated ransomware and penetrations that have damaged and caused a significant concern. To different types of groups. I think for us, you know, what we want to try to do and encourage people globally is, if you do become a victim, to share the problem. Uh, I know that's challenging for some of the big organisations because they don't want to be seen a victim. They don't want to sort of uh, give any indication that that they may have had a data breach and that uh, you know some private data of individuals, customers, and the like, as you know, as has escaped. So, I mean, it's, it's quite a challenging environment for organisations to balance that risk uh, as well as their responsibilities uh, to the privacy of the information they hold. So, for us, it's really trying to sort of work through those challenges with uh, organisations. But there is a very positive and progressive good community out there that can provide a lot of advice, guidance on a range of different issues, risks and vulnerabilities that people are experiencing, unfortunately, on a daily basis and obviously provides some some advice and and potentially will assist in us being able to identify or or, or potentially get an idea of where, where where the threats are emerging from and look at possibilities for some sort of disruption to that threat so we encourage people to report
0: absolutely and would you say it's safe to say that these guys these criminal organizations are they're great innovators or they're just reusing old product what are we seeing in terms of new things coming up
1: a bit, a bit of both we're seeing um you know like it's 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 an interesting perspective the the technology revolution globally you know and what we find is we're, we're so progressive in moving forward sometimes um there's opportunities for criminals to exploit older capabilities and older code and 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 get some benefit out of that because uh we, we've we've advanced so incredibly quickly i think uh, criminals too uh particularly the organised and transnational crime groups, have a large um, financial backing and resource because they've generated that through their criminal activities. Uh, It allows them, too, to test and explore new opportunities, uh, new capabilities, and new technologies as it comes online. And uh, generally, um, you know, from a law enforcement perspective, we're sometimes playing catch-up to these because we don't have that uh, readily available stream of activities. I think for law enforcement, it's critical that that we partner with private industry who are at the cutting edge of technology. uh, So we could at least have a chance to obviously share those experiences, uh, collaborate on uh, task forces and activities to at least um, mitigate some of those risks of um, innovative cyber criminals.
0: And what impact are we seeing on the daily lives of society in general? Have you got any stories for us on how impactful this can be on society and people?
1: Well, look, uh, I think, You know, the interesting thing with cybercrime is it. I think it's generally unreported uh, in a lot of respects. The issue we have is we've got people that have suffered, uh, have been victims to uh, business email compromise, for example, you know, that have been running a small business and have been duped into sending funds to an account that's obviously not a customer or, or ultimately a creditor of that business. And that, that puts added pressure on those businesses not only to recoup funds but to also remain viable and and um, and, and operational. So, you know, like I think on a day to day basis, there are a lot of victims and and there are a lot of people that have been scammed. And really, you know, for some, you know, a loss of a couple of hundred dollars isn't a significant uh, burden to them, but for others, it's a critical burden. So. With the emergence of uh, new communities and and people coming online, you know, to become a victim sometimes could be uh, quite a catastrophic um, activity and event, life event for them. So, you know, we really do encourage them to report. We, We need to improve how they can obviously share that information with the global community. So, you know, we might not be able to action every complaint, but if we start to build up awareness, understandings, how some of these criminals are actually focusing on various groups and targets. Uh, It obviously attributes and helps us to obviously look at um, how that threat is emerging and evolving, why they're targeting certain vectors and and classes of people or organisations. And then from that, we can actually look at various factors that may assist us in uh, attributing to that attack, how how they might be um, using infrastructure globally to to exploit an attack or vulnerability, and then we can potentially um, look at how we can target harden the environment. And I mean, part of it is to try to prevent um, cybercrime. You know, we're working currently with a number of private organisations to try to fix some of the legacy issues within the internet that have been that have been dogging um, and causing concerns for decades now. So for us, it's it's trying to look at differently, not only from the preventative space, but also from the um, obviously, the destructive and, and post-event type activity. But, you know, if we can prevent crimes from happening, that'll have a better benefit uh, for everyone in reducing harm to a lot of people that can potentially be vulnerable to these types of events.
0: And can you tell us a bit about some of the technologies that you're using to detect and defend against these threats? What's some of the gadgets are using to capture these criminals and, and bring them to justice?
1: Well, look, yeah, it's a, a great question. Um, you know, we've got a series of tools uh, that we have within our organisation. Obviously, um, a lot of those are commercially based. We also have um, some capabilities within our, with our innovation centre in relation to developing new tools and capabilities. And once they become um, once they become viable, um, we, we'll try to adopt those as part of those activities. So, I mean, that's an internal process. So I think we're very lucky too to have some amazing private partners Public partners that bring a a range of different capabilities and skills to the to the party. Um, We've been able to partner with a multitude of different organisations and companies around the world, and that's extrapolated too through our member countries. Uh, So you know we can draw a range of different capabilities, and I think even for us, you know, one of the big things that we do is we start to share a problem, and by sharing that problem, we can actually draw capabilities from member countries and other partners that we may not have been aware of at the time. So, you know, look, we've got our bread and butter tools, I call them, that's what we use daily. You know, it helps us to uh, obviously try to triage the issues, try to understand the complexities of the threat that we're seeing, and then obviously sharing that threat with a broader-based expertise through member countries as well as private-public partners. We can potentially draw Additional capabilities to the problem, and uh, and ho- hopefully be able to at least work on attribution or potential disruption on a range of different vectors. So you know that's what we're trying to do. It's a it's a day to day challenge for us, and uh, and we're seeing threats you know quite regularly that present uh, new challenges for us. So you know we're we're keeping our options open. I think um, the emergence of artificial intelligence and machine learning, I think uh, are going to add. Uh, extra tools and capabilities to our arsenal to defend these types of activities and disrupt these activities. But again, it presents a vulnerability and a risk and threat to us too, if employed by you know, cyber criminals as well. So we'll just keep battling on and tr- keep trying to find what new ways of trying to identify a threat and then obviously trying to tackle that threat as, as it becomes more damaging to the communities.
0: And what's your biggest concern at the moment? Is there anything in particular about threat landscape that's keeping you up at night at the moment?
1: Well, I think, you know, look, ransomware and, and how they target uh, is obviously a concern. For, for me, you know, critical infrastructure is obviously um, one of the probably m- most significant issues. I think, the, uh, you know, look, I, 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 I do also get concerned with uh, miscommunication and misinformation that's uh, been propagated through cyberspace. I mean, for me, keeping me up at night, um, we we, we do provide a global response. Uh, You know, I'm generally up and down most nights talking to people around the world on different issues and vectors at the moment. I think for us, um, you know, we're very fortunate that uh, we've got such a dynamic global community through our countries uh, that that always are watching. So, look, we'll just keep an open mind and, and hopefully I don't have too many sleepless nights. But... I mean, you know, another WannaCry or or, or some other um, ransomware that attacks critical infrastructure, I think, could have a a devastating effect in our current environment. But, you know, we we need to just keep uh, be optimistic, uh, keep fighting the fight and, and just try to do the right thing and keep people safe.
0: All right. On a positive note, what's exciting you the most about the future and giving you hope for the future of society against and fighting cybercrime and threats?
1: You know, cybercrime is is a bit of an enigma that's been with us for a while now. You know, it sort of started to emerge, I guess, commercially in the late '80s. Um, you know, really with the commercialisation of the internet, although that have been a lot around for a lot longer. I think generally in the community, it was it was all a bit too hard, and and I think the majority of the community didn't understand back then. But I think uh, awareness, understanding of the environment, and and really the dependency of the virtual environment for many people these days you know we primarily have a virtual persona as well as a real world persona cyber crime arguably is now the global volume crime it's uh, it's becoming more prevalent you know it's estimated that uh, you know it's going to cost around about six trillion dollars a year so it it's it's becoming recognized as a real risk and threat to our global environment and how our commerce and a whole range of issues i think Because of that threat, we're starting to actually see a lot more discussions and communications globally around how we need to tackle that threat. And and my optimism lies in the fact that we've got a global problem, we need to have a global solution. And and really we need to work collectively and collaboratively across all governments uh, globally to really sort of start to tackle this effectively. You know, Interpol's very fortunate to be placed across that global environment. Uh, We provide a conduit to law enforcement, to be able to mitigate some threat, but we also need consistent legislation and frameworks globally to be able to put that in place and I think we're walking that path now. I think unfortunately it's probably going to get worse before it gets better, but I think uh, at some point in time there's going to be a ticking point for us uh, for, and for the organisations and member countries that actually want to do something about this and I think it's going to start to turn it swiftly back the other way we're gonna be a lot more proactive in relation to a collectively taking action against this, uh, this, this enigma.
0: Doug, thank you very much for giving us a bit of a highlight on what cyber criminals are facing these days and all the fantastic things you guys are doing to capture them and keep us safe. Really appreciate it.
1: No, it's my pleasure and thank you so much for your time.
0: Hacking is real. People and organisations are being taken down every day. If you'd like some professional advice and assistance, Go online to ctrlgroup.com.au and we'll help you.